Recognize that song? You know, and as, as we go through a church, and as you, uh, it's kind of wild, we'll look at a year and say we got 52 weeks each year, which seems like a lot, but it's really not. And we realize that one of the things that's really important for us to talk about on a regular basis is this series that we're going to do about the validity of why we believe some of the things that we believe. But uh, for me, uh, specifically, uh, the necessity of uh, doing this series kind of crept up a little bit more last summer when I was on vacation. And uh, we were up in Bozeman, Montana. And uh, I went into this bookstore, and you know, most of the books in a bookstore will be like this, you know, so you can see the, the side bindings. But then every once in a while, there's books that are like this, who, so they're, they're really prominent. And as I walked through the bookstore, I noticed in the nonfiction section that almost all of the books that were facing forward, the majority of the books facing out, were books against the existence of God. Wow. And it just made me feel kind of weird inside. And, uh, and actually, someone just shared with me after the first service who's, who's actually in publishing, because uh, I thought the people in the bookstore just didn't like God, and they wanted to have their books faced out to, so we would uh, buy those. But actually, what happens is you actually have to pay. There's a service that you pay for to actually get your books to face out. So, even, so again, even more so, there's such a real adamant desire right now, not just to get your book out, but to even pay more from this group of people who are desiring to try to make the rest of the culture believe that faith in God is ludicrous. Maybe some of these titles you've recognized. The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins. God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything from Hitchens. Breaking the Spell, Religion as a Natural Phenomenon. God, colon, The Failed Hypothesis, How Science Shows that God Does Not Exist. And uh, what's interesting is there's always been people who don't believe that there's a God. That's, just, that's kind of been the natural thing. But um, maybe some of you have heard of Ravi Zacharias. He's one of the real um, prominent uh, Christian apologists. And he said that he's noticed a shift just recently that instead of an atheism that's just kind of said, hey, here's why we don't believe in a God and you should respect that, it's actually taken a turn. And some people would actually say it's almost become a little bit, um, well, it's more aggressive now. It's taking, instead of a defensive position, it's taking an offensive position and militant in some ways. In fact, this last year in the Wall Street Journal, there was an, an, artic there was an article from Peter Berkowitz, who's a senior fellow at Stanford's um, Hoover Institute and a professor at George Mason University School of Law. And he wrote this article in response um, to some of these books that are coming out today, and this was in the Wall Street Journal. He says the new, new atheism, so not just a new atheism, he's calling it the new, new atheism. There's something different that's going on in our culture today that we need to be aware of. And he said the new, new atheism rejects God in the name of natural science, individual freedom, and human equality. Unlike the Enlightenment atheism of the 18th century, which arose in a still predominantly religious society, and which frequently went to some effort to disguise or mute its disbelief, the new, new atheism proclaims its hatred of God and organized religion loudly and proudly from the rooftops. See, that's different. And unlike the anti-modern atheism of Nietzsche and Heidegger, which regarded the death of God as a catastrophe for the human spirit, the new, new atheism sees the loss of religious faith in the modern world as an unqualified good, lamenting only the perverse and widespread resistance to shedding once and for all the hopelessly backward belief in a divine presence in history. See, today, things are different. 
And, and again, one, one of the things we know too, studies just in the last couple years have shown that still about 92% of the people in America believe that there is a God. So the real strong atheism is only about 80%, or 8, 8, 8%, 80 plus 92 is, okay, only about 8% have this atheistic belief, but there's something that's happening in our culture that's shifting. And I would say that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, or if you are not sure if Christ is who you want to follow, but you do believe that there's a God, one of the things we need to do, and that's why we're doing the series, is just to wake ourselves up to the reality that people now who are writing about atheism are actually angry towards organized religion. They're not just trying to be legitimate as another option. They're saying that organized religion is dangerous to society. That's important for us to understand. And it becomes very important for us then to know why we believe that a God exists. What would you say? If someone came up to you and said, so you believe there's a God, why, why do you believe that? Would you be like the guy in the drama who said, I don't know, I just, I just know he does. Is that your answer? Because if that's your answer, that's not very good. <laughs> that's not going to make it in our culture as you're hanging around. And because I'll, I'm no prophet, but I wouldn't be surprised in this shift that's happening if that 8% gets to 9 and then to 10 and continues to increase. And that's why all the more important is it that we do this series to help you and I believe. Because right now, if you're part of the 92, what threat is that? It's no big deal to believe in God. Everybody believes in God, right? But if that shifts, then we're going to need to be prepared to give a reason for why we believe that there is one. If you're here this morning and you are at this point where you don't yet quite believe that there's a God, I am just, I'm just so glad you're here because we're just going to be able to you know, kind of walk through today some of the reasons that we think that they are, that there is a God. In fact, for the next four weeks, we're basically going to do a case, you know, this whole idea of, of kind of putting God on trial a little bit and seeing if there's reason for us to believe the things that we believe. In fact, it's kind of funny because just yesterday, I got a yellow card in the mail. Anybody know what that was? Yeah, jury duty. Thank you very much. All right. I am so excited. I've never done jury duty before. How many of you have done jury duty before? I mean, a lot of you. God, I thought I was special. So I guess I'm not. All right. So actually, I'm not all that excited about it, to be honest with you. But here's one of the things that happens I've, you know, if I'm going to be on the jury, if I get selected. I am going to be charged to weigh all of the evidence, right? Okay? So that's what we're going to ask you to do for the next four weeks. Kind of give you a charge. Weigh all of the evidence, and then I am unable to render a guilty verdict unless there's enough evidence to convince me beyond what? Oh, you guys just saw that on there, didn't you? Yeah. Okay, but yeah, we all know that. I have to be able to believe beyond a reasonable doubt. The prosecuting attorney, their job will be to present sufficient evidence to convince the jury beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, what does that mean? Well, I went on the web and kind of looked up some legal definitions for reasonable doubt. Here's what I found. Reasonable doubt is proof of such a convincing character that you would be willing to rely and act upon it without hesitation in the most important of your own affairs. However, it does not mean absolute certainty. Isn't that right? Now, because I know that. Like, if I'm on a jury, and you guys who have been on a jury, and you listen to that case, there is no way that you can know something and have it be proven with absolute certainty. 
And so what they ask is that you do it with reasonable doubt, though. And so when we come to this, this series, that's all I want to ask you as well. And why is that? I think because lots of life, life just works that way. We make decisions all day long on high probability and not absolute certainty. How many of you drove to church today? Okay. How many of you had absolute certainty that you were going to make it here without an accident? You can't. There's no way that you can have absolute certainty that that wouldn't happen. And yet, what would you do? You hopped in your car. Why? Because you had, you know, beyond reasonable doubt, I'm going to make it, right? So I get here this morning, and I walk over to my uh, chair, and, and that Captain Crunch of cereal box was down there. And I'm like, oh, I love this stuff. And I went, oh, it's open. You know, wait a second. You know, you don't just stick your hand and eat something that's open because who knows if somebody put something in there, right? I actually didn't eat the cereal because I didn't know what was going on in there, right? So I didn't have enough reasonable doubt. So how many of you, you know, you'll get, maybe a lot of you after uh, you get out of here today, you're going to go to a fast food restaurant and you're going to eat lunch. Now, do you have absolute certainty that that food hasn't been messed with? Can I just tell you I used to work at Burger King? Can I just say you want a little bit more doubt in what you're doing? Because you have no idea. But you know what? You're going to go to that restaurant and you're going to eat it without absolute certainty that somebody didn't spit on that or drop it on the floor. And I've never seen that happen, you know. But, but you are going to believe beyond a reasonable doubt that it's okay to eat this food. Okay, you guys. You're the jury. You are the jury. One of the cool things about God is he said it's up to you. You get to make your choice. And I am not, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not even going to try to prove to you today with absolute certainty that there's a God because I can't. God has done this amazing thing where we're going to see, hopefully today, that he's given us enough proof to believe in something beyond a reasonable doubt. But he left something for us. He didn't give us the ability to know it with absolute certainty because he wants us to have faith. And that's what we're going to do here. And what's in, in uh, this book, Reason for God by Tim Keller, I'm going to mention quite a bit out of here today. It's a new book that's out, really sharp pastor in um, New York City. But he talks about that you guys really, it doesn't matter if you're in the scientific camp or the ones that don't believe that there's a God or if you're a religious person. Either one of those, you can't prove the existence of God or the non-existence of God. Neither camp can. He goes, so we need to talk, stop talking about proving it. But what we could talk about are clues. Are there clues out there? And that's what we want to do through this deal, is kind of look at some of the evidence that's out there, and can we, as a jury, come to a conclusion that, you know what, beyond a reasonable doubt, I can believe that there's a God. Before I jump into these four things, I just wanted to uh, also, just real quick, hit 1 Peter 3.15, because it says this, be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And if you have hope that there's a God, I'm telling you right now, You've got to be able to give a better reason than this guy did. Now, I'm not saying, and we'll get to this as well, it's not saying that it's okay, not bad to say, well, I just know that he is. There is part of that, and we'll get to that later. But you've got to equip yourself better. And, but here's the key. Right after it says that, it says, but then you do this with gentleness and respect. I think one of the biggest problems is that some of us, especially, man, if you're in high school or even more so, if you're in college today, I remember even when I was in college, and I know it's worse, you are deemed pretty much an idiot if you believe this whole God thing, okay? See, there's not a whole lot of gentleness and respect, but it goes just the other way around as well. I know many Christians, though, as soon as you feel like you've got all the answers, 
you think it's ludicrous to believe that there's not a God. And I just want to say right now, I think there's pretty good evidence on either side. Okay? And so when you start to believe things strongly, so God help me today, because I do kind of believe this strongly, that we will share this with gentleness and respect. Because people have opinions and thoughts, and there's some validity on both sides. All right, here we go. Today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to present to you four witnesses to hopefully give us a little bit of reason to believe that God might exist. The first one is just the fact that things exist, okay? Classically, this argument can be called the cosmological argument, and it basically just asks the question, why is there something rather than nothing? Now, any, you, know, you know, my wife's the philosopher in our family. I'm not. You guys, some, some, some of you may stop and actually think about that kind of stuff. Why does anything exist? Why is the person next to you there? Why did the birds wake me up this morning chirping, you know, nice and early? Why is the sun rise and the mountain? Everything. Why does it exist? And the one thing we know is that all things that exist are contingent. They're dependent on something else for their existence. Nothing is utterly independent, self-caused, or self-reliant. Now, that's interesting. If something actually is here, you know that it's here because something actually caused it to be there. And then what we know from the second law of thermodynamics is that everything is in a gradual state of entropy. It's slowly disintegrating. It's breaking down. It's falling apart. It's not getting better. <laughs> Mike Rutledge and Eric and I were doing our accountability today and talking about, man, I just get so tired and the energy's not there anymore. And Mike says, okay, if I'm going to say something you're not going to like to hear. it." he goes, we're 43. <laughs> you know? And, I, and as soon as he said that, I just thought, yeah, dude, when I was 23... It's completely different. I'm not getting better, are you? You know, I'm getting bigger, but not better, right? It's falling apart. We kind of know that. Now, here's the question. If all things are contingent and they're actually fading, not increasing, they're not independent, they're not soft-caused, they're not self-reliant, then the question just begs itself, what is responsible for everything that exists? Why does anything exist at all? And then, in April 24th, 1992... There was the Cosmic Background Explorer that went out. Kobe, which is a name we shouldn't mention right now, right here in Salt Lake City. But anyway, but Kobe went out, and it found the findings that came back from this Cosmic Background Explorer began to prove the universe had a beginning. In fact, pretty much now, most people just take this as common knowledge. George Smoot, who's a University of California Berkeley astronomer, he was the project leader for Kobe. He said, what we have found is evidence for the birth of the universe. If you're religious, it's like looking at God. Stephen Hawking said that almost everyone now believes that the universe and time itself had a beginning at the Big Bang. Francis Collins, who's written this book, The Language of God, he's a scientist, and he's the head, actually, of the, the Human Genome Project. And he says, we have this very solid conclusion that the universe had an origin, the Big Bang. 15 billion years ago, and we can talk about the time, that's another topic. 15 billion years ago, the universe began with an unimaginably bright flash of energy from an infinitesimally small point. That implies that before that, there was nothing. I can't imagine how nature, in this case, the universe, could have created itself. And the very fact that the universe had a beginning implies that someone was able to begin it. And it seems to me that had to be outside of nature. 
So, the cause that now science has been able to prove had a beginning, but it had to be outside of nature. The cause had to be independent, had to be pre-existent to time. It had to be transcendent. It had to be unlimited. It had to be all-powerful and had to be eternal. See, that, oh, I just start saying those words, and you know what I'm talking, I mean, see, then all of a sudden you start to think, why couldn't the thing that started everything be God? Why is it actually unreasonable to believe that if something started it? And so we go to the scriptures and we get to Romans chapter 1, verse 20, and it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Now, and, 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 and so the scriptures are saying that. But, but, but basically, again, as, as Sam Harris, he reviewed Francis Cowan's book, and this is what he said. He goes, in any case, even if we accepted that our universe simply had to be created by an intelligent being, this would not suggest that this being is the God of the Bible. And you know what? That's true. Can we just, can we just all agree on that? But, but we don't have to, just because something intelligent started everything, that doesn't mean that it's the God of the Bible, but it, can we just at least say today, because all we're talking about is his existence, is there enough evidence that science even has proven now for us for me to believe beyond a reasonable doubt that maybe it was God? Logically, I think it's a logically compelling argument, and I think it's a clue that there's something besides the natural world. So there you go. There's your first witness. Deal with it how you like. You're the jury. Okay? Second witness is a witness of design. Who's responsible for the engineering of all these intricacies that we see? The order, the symmetry, the purposefulness of everything that exists. Dr. Hugh Ross, who is a Christian astrophysicist, says, The more accurately and extensively astronomers measure the universe, the more finely tuned they discover it to be. The degree of fine-tuning is utterly amazing, far beyond what human endeavors can accomplish. Okay? So in other words, and we'll get into just, you know, I'm not, I can't get into all the details. If you're interested in this stuff, it's all over the web, and you can read books on it, okay, if you actually want the details on this. But basically what they're saying is, in fact, some people say it's like the universe was created to say, okay, humans, come on. And all over the rest of the universe, the intricacies of how this thing was put together is so far beyond what humans can do. And human beings have done amazing things. They've incredible, accomplished incredible stuff. I'm so not the tech guy at all, right? And so I'm just amazed that my camera works, you know? And, and then the, you turn on the radio and stuff goes through the air and, and all that kind of stuff. And then you've got these iPhones, you know? They're pretty much, how many of you have an iPhone? Okay? It pretty much, two of you, Wow. What a tech-savvy crowd we are. <laughs> anyway, you got something probably in your home. But, but, but part, part of the question with an iPhone, like I look at Andy's and, 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 and uh, Ryan's, and I'm just like, this is amazing that what this can do. And so the question just begs itself. If you took apart the iPod, would you think, man, somebody designed this thing. Somebody actually thought intentionally, and they, they assembled it. This was done by an intelligent being. Or would you say that there was an explosion that took place in a factory 
And when it all came together, it was the iPod. Now, now, no, hold on. Because if, if any of you are out there and you don't believe in this, you're going, oh, get me up there. You know, and you would totally take me down. So, uh, but what we're saying is because, again, what we're talking about is not that the, the universe just exploded and boom, we have, you know, 2008. What, what, what uh, science would be saying, the people who don't believe that it was God who actually designed this, what they're saying is it was slowly took place, right? Little by little, part by part, to eventually become who we are. And all I want to say is, okay, you can choose to believe that. You really can. And science is working hard to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that that's true. Can't prove it without certain, with a certainty yet. But can we not say that just maybe the beauty and the symmetry and how everything came together actually could have been done by someone who was intelligently designing it? You guys, right now, astrophysicists, everybody, they're, they're, they're amazed at the perfection of the universe, the probability of it happening by chance. I would say, again, you could believe that, but which one takes more faith? It's really up to you, because again, it's going to be faith either way, okay? So again, if you're Christian here today, don't you start slamming people who don't believe what you believe, because yours is still by faith. Again, we believe some wacky stuff. But if you're not a follower of God today, yours is faith too. And so which one are we going to believe in? You guys, from the perfect molecular structure needed just to produce matter, has to be exactly perfect, the size of the sun and the earth, just a little bit bigger or a little bit smaller, and everything just messes up. The exact speed of the rotation of the earth, the tilt of the earth being at 23 degrees, right? Because if it was like this, then all of a sudden we'd either burn up or you'd freeze to death. But because it's like this, we can live. The uniqueness of our moon, you guys, there's so many different things in the design of the universe where it's just going, oh my goodness, if it wasn't perfect, we couldn't live. And we just need to deal with that kind of stuff. Or then you look at the human body. And we just, I, I, just this last week, I got invited by one of the guy, uh, young students here. He had to go to his class. You guys remember fifth grade class where you have to finally learn about why your body's changing? Right? And so his dad couldn't be there, so I went with him and, and sat in the class. You know, and as we're sitting there talking about learning about the body changes and learning about the opposite sex and what their body's doing and learning what happens when those two bodies come together, and I'm just sitting there going, this is unbelievable. You know? Yeah. yeah. No, I knew, I knew it. But it was... But... But... To stop and think again... I, know, I, would, I will tell you something I didn't know. I didn't know that when you women were born, you had all the eggs already in your ovaries. I didn't know that. That's just crazy to me. And then all of a sudden, right at the perfect, you know, I mean, okay, let's, we can't, it's just unbelievable. I wanted to call someone in the medical community and say, how, when you look at the unbelievable complexity of our body, do you think that happened by chance? I just, it's just hard for me to understand the way our mind works and the fact that we can feel things and reason and think. It's just crazy. Even Darwin said, to suppose that the eye with so many parts all working together could have been found by natural selection seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest possible degree. Now, what Christians do is they stop there, right? We only read that verse. You need to go on to his next statements because he brings two more sentences to say, even though it's absurd, I think it's possible based on his theory, okay? So, again, all I want to say to you is your choice. Who designed this? Complete, 
accident just happened. To talk, stop and think about your body. Complete accident. Just happened to figure that out. Or was it designed? The next time you study the body or you examine the intricacies of the universe or you hold your baby or I took my, my kids up in the mountains yesterday and you look at the grandeur of the mountains and you take a little flower and you look at the intricacies, the next time you do all that, you just have to answer a question, did all this happen by chance or is there an incredible engineer behind it all? And again, there's your second witness. You're the jury. You can decide what you want. But I think, again, it's pretty decent evidence that helps me at least to believe without a reasonable doubt that there's someone who actually put this together. All right? The third witness is morality. And this question basically says, how does someone account for the fact in human beings worldwide that there's a kind of moral code that provides humans with a sense of moral oughtness? And this has just been a classical argument that people have been trying to figure out throughout history. Why do humans believe that some things are right and some things are wrong? And again, if you follow some of the natural um, evolution, basically the thought is that what helps you to survive eventually starts to change into your genetic code so that things that are right you start to honor just because it helped you to survive, okay? So that would be their answer to that question. But part of me goes, well, why? Why do we value truth-telling over deceitfulness? Because we do, right, in general? But doesn't deceitfulness sometimes help you survive? And why about, what about kindness? We value kindness over violence. But what helps people to survive? The violent ones actually are the ones who have some power over the weaker ones. We value loyalty over backstabbing. Today, you guys, in our culture, it's, it's all this. No one should impose their moral views on others because everyone has the right to find truth inside him or herself. And I know, in a room this size, there's many of you who believe that. You believe right now that no one should be able to impose their moral views on another because everybody has the right to find their truth inside them or her, himself. That is our value today in America. Okay. Think about that to its nth degree. And again, Tim Keller does a great job of explaining this. But he says, you guys, it's actually impossible to hold that view consistently. It really is. And you go, well, well no, no, it's not. Yeah, well, okay, great. So you go to bed tonight, right? And someone breaks into your home, ties you up, and I won't even, you go ahead, and you, because I don't want to say things in here, but sometimes, go, you know, you watch TV. Imagine what they do to you and to your family, and they steal all of your stuff. And you know why? Because they don't have any money, and they needed that to survive. Or maybe it's they just needed money for their drug habit. Okay? And that's what they needed to do to survive. And you're going to say, well, you know what? That's, that's okay. No, you're not. You're going to go, that is wrong. Well, wait a second. Why is it wrong? How are you? Why are you? Do you know the condition of that person and the thing they've gone through in their life that brought them to that place that made them do that thing? Maybe it was right for them in that moment. No, 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 no. See, eventually, if you're going to hold that anybody can choose what is right, it just isn't going to work. And so we do have moral feelings with this conscience. Everybody has one. And, and sometimes we'll just stop right there and go, we got it. why that? But we need to go a step deeper because beyond the moral conscience, there's this thing that, that uh, Keller calls the moral obligation, where some things ought not to be done regardless of how a person feels, or regardless of how the community feels, or if it's in your own self-interest or not. It just shouldn't be done. 
You know, one of the things I love about our world today right now, I really do, is there is such a high value for human rights, isn't there? It doesn't matter if you're a follower of Christ or not. It doesn't matter if you're a believer or an atheist or not. There's this really great value going on in our world for human rights. And I want to say, praise God, that's awesome, that every human being has dignity, and it is wrong to violate the equal dignity of other human beings. But the question is, why should we believe that? Why do we believe that? Keller says, if there's no God, then there's no way to say one action is better, is moral, and another immoral, but only the only thing you can say is, I like this. If that is the case, who gets the right to put their subjective, arbitrary, moral feelings into laws? You may say, well, the majority has the right to make the law. But do you mean that then the majority has the right to vote to exterminate a minority? And if you say, well, no, that's wrong. Well, then you're back to square one. Well, then who says? <laughs> who says that's wrong? That the majority has a moral obligation not to kill the minority. Why should your moral conviction be obligatory for those in opposition? Why should your view prevail over the will of the majority? See, all of a sudden you've got to say, man, wait a second, no, that's right. You know, you look at Germany and you look at Hitler and you go, well, maybe they thought they were right. Who are we to tell them they were wrong? Who's right? Who's wrong? I don't know. Well, we need some basis that's bigger than my opinion. Well, where do you get that from? That's the question. And so then all of a sudden you look at nature and violence as well. Okay, right? Have you guys seen, how many of you have seen the battle at Kruger on YouTube? Oh, wow, am I a geek or what? Two of you. All right, thank you for joining me. Basically, what happens, you guys go home and, you, and, and Google, your, Google your YouTube or however that works and put in Battle at Kruger, and what you'll find is these people are on a safari, and they see these lions crouching, and then this herd of water buffalo come around this other end, and they're watching, oh, my gosh, they're going to engage each other. And then sure enough, all of a sudden, the lions just pounce, and they run after them. The water buffalo turn and bust, but the lions catch the baby water buffalo, grab it, pull it into the water, and the whole, what do you call them, pride of lions just cops, just tearing them apart. And then all of a sudden, these crocodiles come out of the water, and they get up, and they start to against the lions. The crocodiles get one end of the water, baby water buffalo, and the lions get a hold of the other one, and they're pulling back and forth trying to get this thing. And then the lions finally win, and then all of a sudden the herd of water buffalo come around the back. And they come in and they and they're literally throwing lions up in the air to save this little water buffalo. Now, see, we watch that, right? And we go, wow, nature's amazing. Right? You watch that, and you guys, you know. It because why? It's the survival of the fittest, right? When you look at nature, you know the stronger one takes down the weaker one, and that's just the way it works. But when it comes to human beings, what do we say? If violence in nature, why is that wrong for strong humans to trample down weak ones? Apparently, it's not natural. Nature must be in some part unnatural. Because inside of us, we know that it's not okay. And every human being knows that there's dignity within the person. And you've got to ask your question, where does that come from? Because your view of a person will not be the same as the other person, and yet somehow, if we don't get this settled, we will destroy each other. And basically, that's just an argument to say, because, could it be, that instead of natural selection, growing up with inside of me, in a genetic code, because if I do these things, it helps me to survive, 
And so that's, become, that's what becomes moral. But then you look at nature and it's like, that boy, battle at Kruger didn't look real moral. There's something else inside of us. So again, I just want to say, there's your third witness. Could it be that there's a God who is love? That there is a God who loves justice? That there is a God who loves peace? And that there's a God who said, you and every person was created in my image. And your value was worth my life. And again, you can't prove it with absolute certainty. But for me, it's a reason to believe beyond a reasonable doubt that the reason every person knows that a person matters is because there's a God who says we matter and he put it into us when he created us. And not just a natural selection that took place in our being. All right, there's number three. Number four, all right, checking out my time. Here we go. I can't remember what time the service started. <laughs> 1045, 1145, okay, we're good. Here we go. Here's your fourth witness, and that's just experience. There's personal experience. And so you get to this guy over here, and he says, well, how do you know that there's a God? And he just says, I just know. And you know what? That in and of itself is not enough, as I said before. It's not conclusive, but it does merit excuse me, some serious consideration as valid evidence. Ron Nash says, he's an author, he says, religious experience must be taken very seriously as evidence of God, providing that the person making the experiential claim is widely known to be a trustworthy person. And, and, I, and I think that's what's important for us to know. Yes, can there be wacky people who say things and you know just by the way they live their life? You can't trust what they say. You know, they just, just you, know, you don't even listen to them. But if hundreds of millions of intelligent, well-adjusted people of integrity all over the world have claimed to regularly experience God, can you just throw that out as something that you're just making up? And when you think about who are some of these people who say that they believe in God, that they've experienced in him, that they know him, we're talking presidents, we're talking chief justices and scientists and sociologists and professors and mechanics and farmers, we're talking about some of the most well-adjusted, brilliant, powerful, strong people that have ever walked the face of the earth. See, and so, so when we say, well, the only reason people make up God is because they're weak and they can't handle this world, well, come on. Come, wait a second. Some of the people who believe in God, they're, they're amazing people just in and of themselves. That's not a valid argument, in my opinion, to say that anyone who believes in God is just weak or doesn't think. Or I mean, these are brilliant people sitting in this very room. You have lawyers and doctors and business owners and teachers who would stand in a second right now and testify to the fact that they have been loved by God that they were comforted by God, that they actually received his direction and felt him leading to do something, and it was positive, the outcome. I could just tell you story after story of that. Some of you would stand right now and say, listen, all I can say is my life has been absolutely transformed by God, and I can't explain that. In John chapter 9, we have this incredible story about a guy who was blind his whole life, and then he ran into Jesus, and Jesus healed him. And the religious leaders were like, there's no way that happened. 
That didn't happen. And so they gathered all the people around, and they said, wait a second, do you know this guy? Was he really blind? Yeah, he was blind. Oh, it couldn't happen. So they bring in his mom and dad, and they bring in his mom and dad. They say, literally, okay, is this your boy? Yeah, that's our boy. Was he blind from birth? Yeah, he was. No. Darn it. Then, wait a second. This just can't happen. And so finally, they keep talking to the guy, and they say, there's no way that Jesus, who's this sinner, who's now against God, could have done this thing. And he finally just says, he, goes, he replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. Only one thing I do know. I was blind, and now I see. Deal with it. I mean, really, that's all. I mean, he, did, he goes, you know, I don't know the scientific arguments of cosmological stuff. and All I know is I couldn't see. Jesus entered in my life, and he changed my life. And see, and so partly, again, now if that's somebody who spent time in the psych- psychiatric ward who's had those experiences, who says they are Jesus, well, then we have another issue to deal with. But when you're talking about people who make some of the greatest contributions in all of humanity, who say they do that because they feel like they know God and he's moved, it's just kind of hard to be able to throw that out and say that's not a legitimate reason to believe that there's a God. And so I just want to encourage you, one of the saddest, most frustrating things for me, I'll be totally honest, you know, is that I know many of you in this room, you've been coming maybe for a while, or maybe your whole life you've just wondered about this God, and you've actually never encountered him personally. And, what I just, I, and what's so frustrating for me is I can't make that happen, can't push buttons, you know, it'd be great. I wish we could come in here every Sunday morning and go, okay, just push buttons, God's going to make himself real to you. But I just want to encourage you, would you keep seeking? Could it be evidence that's beyond a reasonable doubt? I don't think, you know, I'm not, I'm not near the intelligence of any of these people who write this stuff. But I also know I'm not ludicrous. I'm not insane. I don't know what happened when I was 11 years old. I can tell you this. I wasn't seeking after God. I don't know how many 11-year-olds really do. And he made himself so real to me in that moment. Do you know how frustrating that was to me? You know how frustrating high school was? To sit there and everybody could just go out and do whatever they wanted and not have any problem with it. And inside of me, I'm like, I don't want to. I hate that. I didn't ask for that. But man, when I was 19 years old, I'm sitting out on the, my little lawnmower working for the city parks, living a life completely opposite of what God wanted me to live. And then all of a sudden, he makes himself real to me. Nobody, no person talked to me. I can't explain it. But I do know this, that when I listened to my heart speaking to me, and I know it was God, when I moved in the direction that he asked me to, I moved into what was right and what was good, and not just for me, but for others. And so we look at that, you guys. I just want to encourage you, if you haven't experienced him, to not necessarily just say, well, I guess it doesn't happen then. I remember one time being back in Detroit, driving home late on a Saturday night, and I saw the northern lights in Detroit, you know, which is, I mean, you don't even see stars in Detroit. And, uh, and it was unbelievable. I remember I was speaking the next morning on a Sunday, and I, at the 9 o'clock service, I said, man, how many of you saw the northern lights last night? And nobody raised their hand. Does that mean I didn't see them? Does that mean they weren't there? Well, at the middle service, I said, hey, I saw the northern lights last night. How many of you guys saw them? About 25 people raised their hand. See, because they stayed up a little bit later than the 9 o'clock crowd. <laughs> and then at the third service, I said, hey, I saw the northern lights. Oh, yeah, everybody raised their hand because they were all up late at the last service. And, and this experience of God is not enough. You can't bank on it completely. But you know what? If you've had it, you can, can't you? 
Go ahead and argue me to death. I know some of you are so much smarter than me. You just take me down. You cannot take what God did to me away from me. So you look at all that, and you just go, could I be a reasonable, intelligent, thinking person and believe that there's a God? Something started this. Something designed this. Something put moral oughtness inside of us for the dignity of other humans. And sometimes something just meets you face to face and changes your life. And so as we finish out today, we just want to give you a chance to think about that. I know that the, the other thing that people will kind of mention is that we didn't, I didn't even get into this. You guys, that's why there's so much more to read. Read about beauty. Why, why, is, why is there beauty? Why is there music that moves you and sights that just go to your deepest being? And one of the things people will say is, you know, if you, if you feel hungry, you know, you have this desire inside of you, that's because there's actually food that can meet that desire. Or you get tired and there's sleep or you have a sexual drive and you can actually have sex. I mean, there's a satisfaction to that thing. But even people who have everything, sometimes they get to that point and they go, but it's not satisfying me. There's something inside of us that longs for even more than what this world can offer us. And sometimes people will say, maybe that's God. Maybe it's because there's something outside of the natural world that is meant to satisfy your soul, which isn't natural. And so we're going to worship this one. For those of you who believe in God today, here's your chance just to go, thank you that I'm not an idiot. Thank you, as Romans 1.20 said, that you have done enough. Okay, let me read that for you again. Simply says, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. If you're not there yet today, I again, you have every right to put your faith in the fact that there isn't a God. You really do. And I didn't decide that. God did. God said, you get to choose. But I just want to encourage you, if you've put your faith in it, you have put your faith in something beyond a reasonable doubt. It makes sense. And so we just wanted to end today by giving us a chance to express our hearts in gratitude to this God who created this cosmos, to the God who created little babies, to the God who gives you the chance to feel love and to be loved, to the God who loves you and meet your need. We are going to take our offering at this time. If you're visiting today, again, don't worry about this financial moment. But for those of us who believe, it's just our chance again, one way that we can just say, and I give back to you just a little bit of what you've given to me. If you want to worship him that way, then take part. But let's give him our hearts and our gratitude and our praise for this God who we say is the creator of the world.